Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we've been on top of this whole critical race theory thing, I think, longer than a lot of people have. Because cousin, we live in California and uh, kind of a hotbed of that sort of thing. But I certainly I do look forward to a discussion with our guest about what it is and what it isn't. I I hear so many of my right wing brethren downplaying the concerns about CRT in schools, and I think they're just wrong. Well, why don't we dive into the topic with our esteemed guest, Matt Byenberg, is director of education policy and director of the Van Sittert Center for Constitutional Advocacy at the Goldwater Institute. He is working now. And thank goodness on reducing politicization in U.S. schools. Matt joins us now. Matt, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. You have kids? I do. Yep. You got them in public school? Uh, not quite of the, the school age yet. So uh, this is something that's on the horizon. Are you going to? Um, looking probably at uh, at school choice charter options. Mm-hmm. Uh, something you know, obviously a lot of concerns with with uh, some of the district yeah. offerings in, yeah. in the area. Yeah, a lot of us do. Yeah, it's trouble. So uh, let's talk about the nature of government schools for a minute. Uh, really, from the beginning of the program of, of so-called public schools, they have been seen as a way to mold citizens. Why don't we just say that? Often in benign ways, you ought to know how to read and write, uh, but often in ideological ways. And, and it appears that we're kind of at the, the top end of one of those curves that schools have become really, really ideological. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's certainly a history of, you know, the idea of government schooling that's trying to, uh, like you said, sort of mold uh, citizens. Um, but I, I think you drew that distinction of 
it was a little more, um, it was a different flavor, uh, you know, up until the, the recent decades where it has gone uh, explicitly sort of partisan ideological in a way that really is unprecedented. And so things like critical race theory that are, are pushing not to instill, you know, sort of at least broadly speaking, kind of broad, you know, principles of civic virtue, civic engagement, uh, respect for the, you know, structures of, of the constitution, that sort of thing, but instead to actively essentially turn kids against that. Um, and, and, you know, instead of teaching things about American history and the founding, it's pushing content like the 1619 Project, it's pushing materials that actively seek to undermine what would be essentially a, a, the American constitutional order. Well, you know, the pushback against that, th- th- it frustrated me so much in one of those debates between Biden and Trump that Chris Wallace clearly had no idea what critical race theory was or what he was talking about because the the other side is always able to present it as, oh, so you don't want to teach about slavery or anything that looks bad or any of the race relations problems we've got in this country. What do you consider critical race theory? Yeah, critical race theory essentially is the worldview that, that splits the world by race and segregates individuals and treats them and classifies them based upon whether they are an oppressor or being oppressed. And essentially says, rather than treating everyone equally, you know, equality before the law, it turns that on its head and said, we should view everything through the lens of race. And essentially, uh, instead of, you know, providing everybody due process, the same rights, um, essentially saying, due to the color of your skin, you're going to be treated this way. Due to, you know, the color of your skin, you're going to be treated this other way. So the, the other side, absolutely, you always hear it described as, well, these are efforts to, to stop teachers from teaching about race, to stop them from having conversations about race. They use these euphemisms as opposed to actually getting into what it is. I mean, if you look at the words of, of critical race theorists themselves, I mean, they've said things like critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, enlightenment, rationalism, neutral principles of constitutional law. Right? These are basic things that everybody, you know, they're, they're neutral, right? This doesn't have a, a left wing or a right wing push to it. And yet CRT throws it out and says, nope, we're not going to treat everybody the same. We're explicitly going to base our treatment of individuals upon their skin color. Hey, do you mind uh, repeating that uh, a bit more slowly? Yeah. What you just said about how they're abandoning certain uh, old timey waste, you know, uh, waste of time principles. Say that again, if you would, Matt. (laughs) Sure. I I mean, there's a a quote here, Richard Delgado, one of the sort of founders of of critical race theory, and I'd written an introduction to it. Critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. They're challenging enlightenment rationalism. Well, that's a thing. (laughs) Yeah, and again, that's that's part of kind of the the issue here is that the the proponents of this uh, essentially reject if you try to have a debate based upon reason, you end up falling into them saying, well, this is my lived experience, or this is, you know, they... They reject this idea of being able to have a debate and actually look at a policy, look at the Constitution, and essentially, you know, operate in this uh, this very ambiguous, um, uh, you know, poorly defined uh, reality. I would say where they kind of just shift the the conversation. It's not about principles and logic. It's sort of about an ideology and an end game that that they have in store. And so, you know, some of the other folks push critical race theory have, have also been. Um, you know, very clear and say this will help, you know, lay the groundwork for wide scale resistance. So, you know, there's there's a litany of, of uh, words. This is not something that I think requires opponents of CRT even to editorialize that much. I mean, just the mm-hmm. words of critical race theorists themselves are very clear. They're intense. Now, today, I think the left and the proponents of it 
go back and forth between trying to say, well, this is just a boogeyman. This is only taught in law schools. It's not taught in K-12 anywhere. We, you know, we hear that from MSNBC. We hear that from the teachers unions. And at the same time, we see them come out and, and say, well, actually, critical race theory is just honest history. It's just talking about race in the United States. So they try to have it both ways. Both tell us it's not there, but also it's really important that we teach it. And so I think that this is, again, an example of just the, the, the kind of detachment from, from the reality of, of what's going on in the country. You know, it's uh, it's awfully handy when you're trying to assert something public policy-wise, educationally, uh, restructuring society. And if anybody challenges you on the facts or data, you get to scream, you're a racist for even throwing facts at me. Since we're going, you know, pre-enlightenment, I guess, pre, pre-data, pre-logic. I mean, uh, you'd have to be, you know, I probably shouldn't say this. You'd have to be an idiot to fall for that argument. But a lot of white people have for, I guess, white guilty reasons well so what are you goldwater what are you guys doing to combat this i mean what what role are you playing in this yeah thank you for, for asking so we are, are active on this on a few different fronts so we are um especially here in arizona and across the country uh working and advocating on state level policies so state legislation really to, to beat this back and so uh for instance we're working on uh, initiative called academic transparency or curriculum transparency that essentially says, okay, you guys are telling us none of this stuff is taught in schools. Parents have full information about what's being taught, all these claims that are being made, which then we, we see examples of parents desperately trying to find out what's being taught in their school curriculum and being told you have to submit public records requests just to see what your kids are going to mm. learn. And so we're essentially saying, all right, put your money where your mouth is. If, if you think that everything that's being taught is appropriate and, and above board and parents know about it, then let's make that the reality and let's make it so the parents actually are aware of what's being taught. And so very simply, this idea of academic transparency says, let's have our public schools list online, essentially a syllabus or a listing of the instructional materials that are used. So if you want to use something like the New York Times 1619 project, you're still free to do that, but you're not allowed to just push that quietly. Real Clear Politics did a great study on this a while back and found the 1619 project in particular used in 3,500 classrooms in all 50 states, Whoa. but in most cases, yeah, exactly. Most cases they found it's being used as supplemental material, meaning the school board doesn't vote on it and say, we're using 1619. There, you know, there are some in particularly blue areas that, that do that, but in most cases it gets used in the classroom, does not get disclosed as part of the officially adopted curriculum. And if a parent goes and asks, are you teaching the 1619 project, the administration, the principals can just say, well, it's not part of our curriculum. Our teachers have the flexibility to add materials so they may use it. Well, that's a big asterisk. And so we're essentially saying, if you want to use it, you have to own it. So this transparency initiative um, has taken off. Uh, it's been passed in legislative chambers around the country. Uh, Ohio is actually um, holding hearings on it right now this, this week uh, to essentially require that information to be made public. Um, we're also working on other uh, anti-CRT efforts, uh, some new uh, in Arizona, for instance, a ballot initiative that if it gets a final vote here in the state Senate already passed the House would go to voters and allow them to ban the application of CRT. So obviously a lot of states have, have stepped in to stop the teaching of CRT in K-12. But CRT itself, this is one of the things that, that probably is a little lesser known. They, the, the critical race theorists, again, say this has an activist component to it, right? It, it's something that you don't just teach, you apply. And right. so they are trying to implement essentially racially discriminatory practices in school, whether that's in hiring, admission, mm. discipline. And so we have put together 
um, model policy that now is being being taken up that essentially says, no, under no circumstance can you treat a candidate differently, whether that's a student, a teacher, you can't do this. You're not allowed to give them these diversity statements that we're now seeing a lot of colleges and schools use, where if they're going to hire a teacher, they say, show us your resume and your cover letter and also provide a statement pledging allegiance and support and how you will advance diversity, equity, and inclusion, which again, these all sound like great terms, but we're seeing in so many instances these, again, are essentially euphemisms for the uh, application of CRT, of treating individuals differently. So we're actively working on this drafted model policy, something that's open for states around the country to, to pick up and run with. Matt Beinberg, Director of Education Policy at the Goldwater Institute on the line. Matt, just for the record, do you or anybody at Goldwater have anything against kids learning about slavery or the Jim Crow era or the civil rights movement or anything like that in school? Absolutely not. And the, the ballot initiative language that, you know, again, we've, we've been supportive on is explicit. You know, it says this does not preclude a teacher from covering instances of past, ra- past racial hatred or discrimination or current issues, whether that's slavery, Indian removal, the Holocaust, Japanese internment. Right. Very, very clear. This legislation in, in all these cases uh, that, that we would support says this is very different. You know, teaching history is one thing. Teaching that we should force our students to uh, feel that they are taking, you know, we see things where they, they're forced to take a privilege walk or play privilege bingo. Oh, my God. Or, you know, be, be separated into... You do a privilege groups. walk with my kid at school, he is never returning. Ever. Under any circumstances. So, of course, you call you say that, but I'm going to call it the Goldwater Don't Say Black Bill. That's what I'm going to name it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. and that's 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 largely how we've, we've seen this play out. Again, that they say this is these are gag bills. These are, um, you know, presenting, preventing the, the teaching of real history. Um, because they don't want to actually sit down and uh, and debate the issues. We had someone come out and oppose this measure that would stop discrimination. They said this is prohibiting contracting equity because the bill says you're not allowed to discriminate based upon race in terms of who you contract with, right? So the way that they, they don't even engage with the issues themselves because they recognize that the policies are unpopular, but they do manage to tap into that sense of, of people, you know, everyone says, okay, well, yes, there was slavery in the past. There was discrimination. There was Jim Crow. People are naturally, I think, sympathetic and, and wanting to, uh, you know, make sure that everyone is, is treated fairly. And yet that essentially then gets taken and the, the activists run with that and try to use that essentially to implement reverse racism and, and institutional discrimination. So we are very adamant at Goldwater, uh, strongly opposing that through academic transparency to bring this to light and through our anti-CRT efforts to ensure that our public institutions you know, state-sponsored, taxpayer-funded institutions are not pushing racial discrimination the way that critical race theorists try to. Matt Beinberg of the Goldwater Institute will have a link at armstrongandgetty.com so you can uh, follow their battle or contribute to the Goldwater Institute or whatever you like. Matt, great to talk to you. Keep up the good fight and stay in touch, please. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. He's, got, he's got a master's in public affairs from Princeton, so he probably thinks he's better than me, but Probably is. Probably is. Um, how about the fact that the 1619 project is being taught in has been taught in 3,500 classrooms? Just beautiful. What's going on under your nose, parents? Oh, that's the point of the bill: transparency. That's unbelievable. More on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? 
Yes. You are. That's the commitment we made. Uh, so, you did? When? <laughs> this smacks of, this is breaking news today. He, uh, the president of the United States is in Asia, if you didn't know that. Our, uh, we have never stated ever our policy is to defend Taiwan militarily, like to join them in fighting China. We've never said that out loud. The president, it, it sounded like he just did. Maybe we'll play that clip again because uh, CNN checked on that with the White House. On Biden and Taiwan, a source familiar with the president's thinking tells me there is no new U.S.-Taiwan policy. When the president said the U.S. would intervene militarily, he meant providing weapons, not deploying U.S. forces. Consistent consistent with the 1979 Taiwan. So listen to her question again and see if it seems clear to you that she wasn't talking about troops. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are. That's the commitment we made. She specifically was describing the difference between Ukraine and Taiwan. Yeah, the only possible uh, explanation I can come up with, and it partially relies on the president being very, very old, is that she said you didn't want to get involved militarily Mm. with Ukraine. Could that include like the very early days when there was a debate of whether to give them weapons? I mean, that's a stretch. That's a, I'm, stra- ow, I'm stretching to try to come up with oh, a logical yeah. explanation. Yeah, you might be giving him cover and with the caveat that he's very, very old because anybody younger and sharper should realize this is a danger zone here. This is a big deal. Answering this question, you got to be very precise because sure. everybody's, you know, uh, keying in on this question. You can't, you can't flub it. But yeah, technically, I suppose you're right. You didn't want to get it would involved have been a militarily. Better question. It would have been a better question if she had said, you did not want to commit American troops to the fight in Ukraine. Would you be willing to commit American troops to fight for Taiwan? That would have been a much more precise question. And this will be like the 10th time that the White House then can go back and parse a question and find a at least a justifiable reason for why the president answered something a certain way, even though we what? all know he's super old and not capable of doing the job anymore. Yeah, yeah. And maybe for national security reasons, it's it's better that we all pretend, uh, at least, you know, for now. That is something. I, I don't know. It, it would be so much more comfortable to call him out for this if there wasn't a dope in the vice presidency. Yeah, if you got Al Gore or younger Joe Biden or uh, Mike, Mike Pence, Pence, anybody, practically yeah, anybody. Yeah, but Kamala Harris has got a 38% approval rating in her own hometown. And that's generous. And that's generous, yeah. So what a, what a situation. What a situation. Holy crap. If you miss an hour of the show, get the podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. 
That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Elon Musk defended himself from allegations that he reportedly exposed himself to a flight attendant on his private jet saying, quote, if I were inclined to engage in sexual harassment, this is unlikely to be the first time in my entire 30 year career that it comes to light. Ooh, sorry, we were looking for a simple, did not do it. The answer was, did not do it. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> I appreciated the listener going to the trouble of doing the math to point out that his alleged $250,000 settlement, given his net worth at the time, would be like somebody with a million dollars in the bank being fined $50, which is practically an extra large pizza and a salad these days. Uh, so anyway, that oh, and the other piece of math that I did myself uh, when the president said we should all be, we should all be concerned about the monkeypox, I did a little <laughs> did a little mathematics, and it turns out uh, on Earth right now one in eighty million people has the monkeypox. So everyone should be concerned. Yes, I know I am. My I, my monkey is apoplectic. So. Uh, Getting back to our series of the heart is the stupidest uh, muscle, our stupidest <laughs> organ. Yeah. yeah. The heart and its dumb, dumb decisions. Oh. Yes. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, this Casanova scammer guy has admitted to stealing a million dollars from women uh, on dating apps. He's on trial. This guy, uh, Brian Wedgworth is his name. He pictured himself, uh, his, his picture for dating apps was usually in a white lab coat. And he claimed he was a surgeon who attended all sorts of your most prestigious schools, Johns Hopkins, etc. Um, and, and once the gals got to talking to him, they might have found him even more desirable. He had no debts, he'd tell them. He was so financially stable, in fact, that he insisted on paying off their debts. Wow. Wait a minute. My dream come true. Prince Charming has come to my rescue. What these women didn't know, however, was that Wedgworth's profile and generous offer were a tool to suck them in and then steal their money, according to investigators. Have you never heard of Too Good to Be True? This is, yeah, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to be gentle, Jack, and I encourage you to take the same feel to this story. Because when people fall in love, sometimes they make dopey decisions. I never have. Or if they're lonely... Sometimes they get a little desperate-ish. Mm. I never have. You know, but, I, I've never, mm. I've never really been in that situation of like, you know, uh, real loneliness, not much chance for finding someone. That would be, that'd be tough. I gotta admit, that would have to be tough. And if you think, wow, not only have I found someone, but they're wonderful, you're stupid, stupid heart, or whatever part of your brain, if you want to get all technical, is going to flood itself with these pleasure chemicals in a way that just is irresponsible. Stupid, stupid brain. Anyway, over the here's how he did it, and, and yes, there's a lot of lovelorn dopiness here, but over the span of about four and a half years, using approximately 13 aliens, aliases on seven dating apps, he defrauded at least 40 victims across oh. at least seven states. Wow. Was he a particularly good-looking guy? Or? Pretty good-looking guy, yeah. That yep. helps. He was 46 years old, uh, pleaded guilty to a bunch of counts. Um, let's see. It comes on the heels of Netflix's popular documentary, The Tinder Swindler, um, about this guy, I think. I don't want to well, be... Well, no, no it's, it's, it follows the exploits of a different guy who did similar stuff. I don't want to be, you know, pile on to the hurtfulness, but it was he a pretty good looking guy that was claiming to have fallen for people that generally wouldn't date in his league? Doesn't get into that because that's a cruel and, and terrible thing to even break up, uh, to bring up. And I asked you to be more kind. I asked you. I'd ask you to be gentle on this. Although, I'm going to get into the particulars of how the scam worked, and I think you'll get it a little more. Uh, So uh, this guy moved from state to state, pulling off the scam. Um, He was convicted of identity fraud and forgery in Georgia and spent over a year in prison. While incarcerated, he continued the romance scam. Well, you got to do something in jail. What are you supposed to do, whittle? So this Wedgworth character created dating profiles on, get ready for this now, Match, Plenty of Fish, Christian Mingle, Hinge, Bumble, Coffee Meets Bagel, and The League, the indictments say. I haven't even heard of half of those. Right, yeah, exactly. Under varying names, he presented himself as a physician who worked for, was uh, educated at Harvard, Johns Hopkins, Wild Cornell Medical, Cedars Sinai. I feel like he went too far. I'm a doctor who... Worked at Harvard. It just seems like you're really, really going too far. But it worked for him. On a few occasions, he showed women fake pay stubs, including one from 2019 that purportedly showed he made over 585 grand that year. 
I don't have a concept of how widespread online dating is. It's it's much, much more than it used to be, I'm aware. Oh, yeah. I've, I've never done it. But is it common for a Harvard doctor to need to use online dating to meet people? It just doesn't seem like it would be. Gosh, I wouldn't know, but yeah, I see your point. He would often meet with the women in person to gain their trust. He got access to their personal information when he offered to pay off their debts. He'd say, look, I got plenty of money. I hate to see you struggling like this. What do you owe the bank? 30 grand? All right, no problem. Just then here it comes. Give me your banking and loan information, including your account number and your login and your password and your personal identification number, including your full name, date of birth, and social security (laughs) number, and I will pay off that debt. I am so fortunate that I met a Harvard-educated doctor who's wealthy and good-looking who is willing to pay off my debt if I will only give him this information. I am really struggling to be charitable with these people. But wait, wait, there's one more twist. Now, yes, we're into you've made a terrible decision because your heart neutralized your freaking frontal lobe, all right? But then he would send electronic payments to the accounts, whether they be credit card companies, mortgage lenders, other creditors, using bank accounts that had insufficient funds or were previously closed, but he caused the women to receive notifications from their lenders and creditors that payments were made mm-hmm. and the debts were paid in full. When, in fact, you know, before too long, everybody figured out, whoa, wait, no, they weren't. That would buy him some time, certainly. Right, exactly. That would take, geez, what, what, that would take... Th- Maybe 90 days before you'd find that out. I don't know how that works. You know, I almost wish uh, Judy was available. I'd call her right now and get her on the air but because um, she's a, the banking whiz. But I would think that payment would bounce out, would error out. But, yeah, it would pretty quickly. But I, I wonder how long before they would, uh, before you would get a letter in the mail. Well, and before the women found out their debts were not actually paid, this guy would get them to send him money. Sometimes he'd say, oh, my God, they froze my bank account because of medical malpractice lawsuits, or he was short on cash after paying off their debts. And he would be like, you know, I paid off your $30,000 car. Can you lend me 500 bucks until next week? <laughs> so prosecutors say this Wedgework uh, character persuaded the women to withdraw cash or deposit funds into a bank account under a different name from the one he was using, claiming they belonged to a non-existent business partner or assistant. If at this point... You don't say to yourself, wait a minute. Prince Charming just paid off my debt, but now he needs money. I'm going he through needs- kind of a slow spot in my whole Harvard doctrine. <laughs> he needs all of my information, but he needs me to wire money to a third party because his account is frozen because of a what now? Oh, a malpractice suit. Right. Yes. Hmm. And sometimes he persuaded women to buy him expensive jewelry, including Rolex watches, on the promise that he'd pay him back as soon as, you know, that lawsuit's done. All right. I don't know what to do for you if you're buying him a freaking Rolex. Yeah, I know. Uh, so they apparently had some of them had some money. Um, did he sex any of them up or was he only in, for, in it for the money? That's funny. They don't get into that. Not a single word in this article, which is rather complete. About uh, whether indeed uh, he got a little bingo bango on as long as he was, you know, robbing him. Maybe he has uh, no I'm interest guessing, in that. Well, I'm guessing he did. I would think if they're willing to, you know, if they're that far down the road that they're giving him all the bank information. They... Well, and if you're a scammer and that's what it takes to keep him on the hook, I mean, unless they're truly, you know, and I, again, I don't want to be cruel, but unless it would be very difficult to do that, um, you know, why not? <laughs> As, as, long as, as, as long as you didn't find them f- 
physically unappealing. To the point that you're risking upsetting the scam. Although, obviously, some of these gals were kind of soft-headed, and he could probably say, well, you know, I'm just getting over monkeypox, and I have lesions on my wang. So, for instance, as it turns out, that is how you get it. Why did you it's have... sexually transmitted. Why? It's the great transition back into monkeypox. Um... <laughs> and I love you. <laughs> we, we have been talking about this for so long, and it's always tough. On one hand, you need to have, well, stupid should hurt. We have T-shirts that say stupid should hurt. It's Mm -hmm. good for the herd if stupid should hurt. And for the individual, sadder but wiser. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the things I'm better at now are because of some stupid things I did in my life. And if I'd been uh, kept somehow from feeling the pain of my stupid decisions, I'd, I'd still be doing the stupid things. Probably. There's certainly a greater chance that you would. Yeah, so in aggregate for a society, stupid should hurt. Man. Anyway, this guy, the guy's going to prison for quite a long time, or at least he might, which is good. Don't be preying on poor gals who are just looking for love, you scumbag. And men or women. I know it's you know, the heart is the stupidest organ. It is the stupidest. It's, it's a blind reality. But if you ever find somebody coming on to you who has normally throughout your whole life not been in your league, you got to, you know, just slow her down a little bit. Something's up. Something is up. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho. Do we, did we get a total? Do we know how much money you got total? If a guy asks you to buy a Rolex for him, that's not a present. That's a demand. <laughs> for instance. <laughs> hey, uh, what do you think of Vito and the whole buying me a Rolex? Oh, I'd love to, sweetheart. That's that's not a good relationship. Yeah, I was, I was going to call you at 10 o'clock yesterday, but then I looked at my wrist and I realized, dang it, I don't have a watch at all. So uh, I don't know what time it is at all. I don't know when to call. <laughs> so anyway, any chance you could give me a Rolex? <laughs> we'll finish strong next. Armstrong and Getty. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick 
and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, you've probably heard this before. I mean, it's we've aired it a couple of times, although this is a more thorough version that includes the follow-up news coverage. Joe Biden ran for president in 1988. He was 40, I looked it up earlier, 46 years old, I think, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. He's in his 40s. Um, and this speaks to the Taiwan story today on how he answered the question and did he know what he is saying and then the White House has to change his answer and we're thinking, well, it's just because he's old. Where Here he is in his 40s. How did he end up saying this stuff? I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. Went back to law school and, in fact, ended up in the top half of my class. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only 123 credits. Biden now concedes he did not graduate in the top half of his law school class, that he does not have three degrees from college, and that he was not named outstanding political science student in college. Newsweek says Biden actually went to school on a half scholarship, ended up near the bottom of his class, and won only one degree, not three. <laughs> Joe Biden ranked 76th in a class of 85 at the University of Syracuse Law School. I mean, this guy comes off this whole thing as a flyweight. Now Biden says Newsweek is right. His memory had failed him. And I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank. Joe Biden was victimized by the truth. Bye-bye, Biden. He may not know it yet, but I think this is very diff- going to be very difficult for him to recover. It. Is Joe Biden dead meat, yes or no? I think so. Bob? Terminal condition. Terminal. Eleanor. Yes, unless he comes in third in Iowa. <laughs> Morton. Dying. I say dead. So he ends up getting out of the I race. I say dead. He ends up getting out of the race. <laughs> Which of those things is most amazing to say? Now, saying you graduate in the top half when you're in the bottom half, eh. Oh, bottom half. He was like in the bottom 10%. Right. Um, and then even I was the named the best student. That's a heck of a thing to say when you weren't. But to me, the most egregious is, I mean, just stating that you got three degrees when you got one. I mean, that how how do you think you're going to get away with a lie like that? And as you pointed out, he's so adamant. It's not just like, you know, he's talking up one person at a bar and figuring they'll never check on it. He's in a room full of reporters in their face with his finger. Now, this is what happened to me. Here's, you want to hear the story? Here's the story, Jack. I'm riding in the top half of my class. I got full-ride scholarship. I got three degrees. And none of that is true? Yeah, Ofer. None of that was even close to true. What kind of a human being ever in their lives does that most of us never come within 100 miles of that adamantly lying about our lives to a large group of people? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And not only... Uh, 
Well, he's in his 40s then, so you can't blame it on being an old man. And that guy gets elected however many years later because he's running against Trump. And people, yeah, well, that was him when he was in his 40s. Maybe he's (laughs) stopped regularly lying about things that don't even matter that much. That's the other part of it that's weird. Nobody's going to, you don't not get elected president because you only have one law degree. So there are only two explanations to me. Uh, for that, number one is that he didn't think anybody would check. That's that's nuts. Well, right. I mean, if you're in a bar and you say you're second team All America in high school, even though all you were was All Conference or whatever, okay, all right, that's fine. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to check. <laughs> but he's in a room full of political reporters. He's adam. He's lecturing them, jabbing his finger. They're going to check that stuff. So uh, that that seems like a stretch to think, well, they'll never check on this. Um, so he's got to be just a crazy person. He, he's That's a I'm, thing. That's like a ment- that's a diagnosable thing, isn't it? Well, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Walk into the operating room. I'm board certified for neurosurgery. I'll take over here. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Super. He's a brain surgeon. He must be. Nobody claimed that falsely. No, they're going to check. <laughs> He's got a mental problem. <laughs> well, he's got a few. Hi, uh, this is Corn Pop. When I'm not trying to get my razor rusty in a rain barrel, I listen to Final Thoughts with Armstrong and Getty. There you go. Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Hey, let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the day. There he is, pressing the buttons, our technical director, Michelangelo. Michael, what's your final thought? Okay, I was thinking about this. You know, figuring out... Uh, what league you're in when you're dating is the most difficult part because nobody wants to tell you uh, you're only a six or a four or a seven. I guess you got to put your picture on the internet now and just take comments about your looks. Now, a lot oh, of people, boy. lots of people do that. There are Reddit threads for that. Rate me, so you can get anonymous ratings to have a, an idea where you are. Uh, I would uh, never do that. Jeez, that sounds painful. <laughs> humans are so shallow. I don't like humans. Young Alex is our behind-the-scenes producer. Alex, final thought? You know, following up on that, I thought for the longest time when I was dating my now wife that she was way out of my league, and I guess I just batted above my average for three years, and it worked out. Well, and a good heart and a great sense of humor, uh, etc., counts for something, too. Uh, Jack, a final thought for us? Yeah, every girl I've ever been in a relationship with was out of my league, so what are you going to do? Um... The Wall Street Journal with this story, Hillary Clinton did it. Her 2016 campaign manager said under oath that she approved the plan to plant the false story. We didn't bring it up today. Robbed up a little on Friday. Nobody's paying any attention to it. Nobody cares. The candidate in the race planted a false story that the whole world then talked about for two years. Yes, yes, yes. She's going to get away with that. Whatever. Well, Politics is an ugly game. A few years has gone by, so nobody's ever held accountable, really. Uh, my final thought, speaking of being held accountable, is the wonderful city of San Diego has spent a tremendous amount of time, money, and effort to deal with the so-called homeless problem, which resulted last year in an increase of 10%. We'll get into that in more detail tomorrow. Mm. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling for our workday. So many people who think so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. If you missed a chunk of the show, you want to grab it. It's Armstrong and Getty On Demand at the website or wherever you like to get podcasts. You can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. We have the hot links there for you. Get some swag at armstrongandgetty.com. Some swag. We will see you tomorrow. God bless America.
Armstrong and Getty. Dead meat, yes or no? Yeah, and if he caught a mouse in a mousetrap, he just didn't throw it in the trash. He boiled her up. My monkey is apoplectic. I say dead. I think so. Well, I was unnecessarily frank. And I don't think that's funny, period. It was so bizarre and so grotesque. It's it's really serious. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, so... Uh, just shut up! Get the- Bye, bye, bye. On that high note, thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.